God is good, and the Word of God is true. And so I want you to learn a little bit this morning. My thinking behind this particular passage of Scripture is that there are a whole lot of kings that were evil in Israel and Judah. There was a divided monarchy. You had the lower tribes, which was Judah, you know, and and, uh, you had Benjamin and, and Judah, and then you had Israel, and uh, the two lower uh, tribes, of course, is where we understand we're at today with Rehoboam ruling over those. Um, and so we're going to talk about Rehoboam. And so we would look at different kings because of the divided monarchy. There were, there were kings in Israel and there were kings in Judah. And sometimes they would fight. And so um, to give us a little bit more of an understanding of this passage and a little bit more concerning Rehoboam, I think it would be good for me to just read a portion of Scripture out of Second Kings. And uh, you have your Bibles in front of you in Chronicles. You can stay there if you would. But we read more concerning really the condition of Rehoboam's heart um, as a leader in Second Kings. We know that we are now under the leadership of a very, very wicked president. We know that because of his desire to even money. That's something that maybe is new to you in understanding, but more money's going to them. And uh, to produce their nuclear desire to wipe us, wipe out Israel, and uh, not, um, that's not uh, foreign to what we're looking at. We are in trouble as a nation, and uh, understanding what makes someone like Joe we're going to look at that today a little bit and understand where that comes from. And uh, Rehoboam here, under his authority, um, evil was rampant underneath his authority. And it is today. There is more corruption uh, going on in the, in the White House. There are still some men that are standing for what is right. We need to pray for them. Every once in a while we get to hear from them. But underneath here, Rehoboam's authority, evil was rampant. These evils were punished and then put down by the terrible, by terrible calamity because of the Egyptian invasion. And God would sometimes bless Israel through other nations and the spoil of other nations. And sometimes God would, uh, would, would, uh, uh, discipline Israel and Judah because of other nations. And so it was the case here. But I'm sorry, it was 1 Kings chapter 14. Let me just read a few verses for you. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. And then Rehoboam was 40 and one years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. So he's 58 when he was, uh, off the throne. The city of the Lord, which did choose out all of the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Namah, uh, an Ammonite. And, and Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they had committed above all that their fathers had done. And they also built them high places and images and groves uh, on, on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also sodomites in the land. And they did, and they did according to all the abominations of the nation, nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And so the lasciviousness, if you would. And by the way, let me just say a little bit about that concerning our day in which we live in. For some reason, the pastors have got away from the scriptures and are now actually saying that people can live the way they want to live. And, and, and there's actually people that are, that are involved with abominations even within the church or quote unquote church. And so I want to just encourage you, Grace Baptist Church and you leaders, if something should ever happen to me, make sure you get a man in here that loves this book. 
and loves for you to learn it. He may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but find somebody who loves the Bible. Find somebody who has a passion for scriptures and for people to be able to be in the scripture. I think it's important. But here, uh, the lascivious worship of Asheroth allowed to exist uh, side by side with true religion and the images of Baal and the fellow uh, divine, if you would, were set up. The, 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 The images were set up. And uh, the worst corruptions were tolerated. In fact, where it talks about Rehoboam forsook, um, one of the commentators said, a man cannot have been three years wise and then have returned to old courses without his return being marked by uh, aggravation of evil. And so the last state of the man is worse than the first. Because the Bible says the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallow in the mire, to have been halfway to heaven, and then to have been thrown down, what agonies would be allowed if we would think of a person in that case? If you look at the 12th chapter, we see in verse number 1, and it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom, and had strengthened himself. That's an interesting comment. He strengthened himself. God did not strengthen him. He strengthened himself. And he forsook the law of the Lord and end all of Israel with him. So it's three years in doing. Um, I think in verse number 17 of chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, look over there with me. Uh, it says, and so they strengthened, or so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong three years. For three years they walked in the way of David and Solomon. And so it says in here in verse number 1 that, that uh, of chapter 12 that he was strong, but he made himself strong. In chapter 12, verse number, uh, verse number 13, and so King Rehoboam, Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem. And so it was not the Lord strengthened him. He was able to use his influence and his money to be able to do some great things external, externally, if you would, but didn't take care of the internal and walk with God. And so we see that here. There was a national sins that were involved, and there was provoking God to, to, to jealousy. God announces himself to be a jealous God. And so we have to remember that the best thing anybody could do when they come to this country is leave their God at the gates and come and worship our God because he gave us this country to glorify him and to get the gospel to the ends of the world. That's why America was established, and we need to return to that in order for God's blessings to come. Our God is a jealous God. It says that in Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And so he's basically warning back in Exodus, and now the children of Israel had decided to go ahead and put up their images in their groves, and then there was also the public worship of idols, altars in high places built, wood, woods planted, gods and graven images publicly um, 
patronized in utter disobedience to God's command. Basically, uh, there was rapid spread of immorality here. We see that also in 1 Kings chapter uh, 14, verse 24, that there were also the Sodomites were in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations. And let me just tell you right now in front of you, I stand in the position that homosexuality is an abomination to God. And it ought not to be accepted in any culture. Now, you can go ahead and throw me out if you want to, but I need to tell you the truth, that it is an abomination for a man to lie with a man. The Bible is very clear on that, or a woman to lie with a woman. And so it's interesting that this particular time that they were able to accept that, but for three years they were doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden they started to falter under Rehoboam. And so 1 Kings chapter 14, 23 says, And they also built to them high places and images and groves and every high hill under every green tree. And so the splendor of the temple and the group of the priesthood, secular privileges and religious teachers were were not restrained. Their sins were grievous and universal sins above all of their fathers had done. So there was that national sin. So there had to be national punishment from God. It doesn't work that way to where we can have national sin and then God not judge a nation. He will judge America soon if we do not turn back to the Lord. Here he is going to use Shishak, if you would, the king of Egypt, incited by Jeroboam uh, or or, uh, ambitious of conquest, invaded the land and humbled the nation in a very successful campaign. First of all, the capital was disgraced. Jerusalem entered to to a place where uh, they had to give uh, away to to the heathen army a national disgrace for the city to be broken down and the walls of defense to be broken down. We see this uh, here in the scriptures. The cities were taken um, and the treasures were carried away. The palace and the temple were robbed. And the shields of gold and everything valuable was taken away. Deep humiliation, grievous bondage in the price of, of this peace um, and the retribution of a watchful providence uh, I also left the land to Shishak, the Bible says. Look at verse number two, and it came to pass that in the fifth year of the king Rehoboam, Shishak, the king of Egypt, came against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. Now, we, we see this as, as something that, that uh, Rehoboam had within his life, the personality of Rehoboam and what he was like. I think it's mentioned more in here. And I, there's, there, there's so much, the 10th and the 11th and 12th chapter of Second Chronicles really give us a display of Rehoboam and who he was. Um, a lot like his daddy when it came to women. Um, he had a desire for them. Look at verse 21 of chapter 11. Uh, and Rehoboam loved uh, Maekah the daughter of Absalom, uh, above all his wives and his concubines, for he took 18 wives and threescore concubines and begat 20. So he had 28 sons and 60 daughters. So he had more daughters than he had sons uh, from 18 wives and 60 concubines. And so he had a problem with women. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, you would agree with me on that. Uh, also, it says in verse 23, he dealt wisely uh, and dispersed all the children throughout the countries of the land of Judah and Benjamin. Of course, he had rule over them unto every fenced city of chapter 11, verse number 23. And he gave them food in abundance. I can't say that word, otherwise I would say it, but that's what it means, food. Uh, and he desired many wives, and so he had a problem with food and women. Uh, it doesn't say wine and women. 
uh, but it says it says food and women. And so this was a little bit more of his traits. And in verses 1 through 4, if you're taking notes, let me give you a quick outline before I really get into the message. The outline really is in verse number uh, 1 through 4, we see the, con- the, the, the consequence uh, of not addressing sin. Um, and so you think maybe perhaps you, you'll get by if you don't deal with your sin. Um, you know, I've always said if you don't deal with your past, your past will deal with you. But if you don't deal with your sin, your sin will mess you up. Um, and so you've got to deal with it. That's what Jesus Christ came for. He came to take away the sin problem. He came away. To, he came down from heaven and he was crucified. We know that he was buried and on the third day rose, rose again. This is the gospel and this is what we believe. But he came to take care of the sin problem. Did you know that you spiritually been, can become clean with God this morning? You can come clean if you desire to be clean. He will forgive you. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm so glad I'm living in the day of grace. I'm so glad I'm living in the days of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church age. I'm so glad I'm living toward the end of the church age, and I'm so glad that God saw fit to prepare me for these days. And he prepared you for it. And you ought to be thankful to God for his goodness to you and how he's given you a platform to be able to glorify him. But we see the consequence of not addressing sin. Of course, we read verses 1 and 2, but let's read 3 and 4. And with 1,200 chariots and threescore and thousand mess, he had 1,200 chariots and, what was it, 60,000 uh, horsemen. That's a lot three score thousand horsemen, and the people really were without number that came with him out of Egypt, and he had other communities with him along with the Ethiopians, and he took the fenced cities which pertain to Judah and came right to Jerusalem. And so here he comes up, Shishak, he's faced and, and uh, forbid um, you know them to, to, to be able to excel and he came up to Jerusalem. We see in verses 1 and one through 4 is the consequence. Then we see the conviction of a spirit-filled preacher. Look at verses 5 through 12. It says, and then came Shemaiah. Now, Shemaiah is mentioned also in other places. Let's look at chapter 11, verse number 2. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, chapter 11, verse number 2, the man of God. So we're talking about somebody who that God had prepared to be able to speak. And he went then spake to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the king of Judah, verse number 3 of chapter 11, and to all of Israel and Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus saith the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren. Return every man to his house, for this thing is done of me. So God's saying, this is something that I've done. And they obeyed his words, and the Lord returned from going against Jeroboam. But if you look at that phrase where it says, for the things uh, that are being done is, is of me, that's found in chapter 10, verse number 15. So the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was of God, and the Lord might prepare his word. You know, sometimes things go against what we think need to be done, but we have to rest in knowing that sometimes when bad things happen, God is in charge, and let his, let his will be worked out. Submit to that. Let him, let him work those things out. I see we see that here in the scriptures. Back to chapter 12, then, we see the conviction of a spirit-filled preacher, a man of God named Shemaiah, 
and he is the prophet, goes to Rehoboam and to the princes. This is just a group of some organized men that Solomon was able to put together. Rehoboam was able to benefit from that, the princes of Judah. And they were gathered together to Jerusalem because of Shishak. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, you have forsaken me, therefore I also left you in the hand of Shishak. Now, he's giving them the bad news. So they have this man of God comes out and says, you know, since you've been going against God, now you're going to have to face Shishak, the, the king of Egypt and all of these armies. They're going to come after you. They're going to destroy you. And, and it says that they've done it because of your sin, because of not turning to the Lord. Uh, it says in, in, in verse number six, then it says, and whereon the princes of Israel, along that group of men, and also the king humbled themselves. And what did they say? They said, the Lord is righteous. Can we say that right now? Let's say it together. The Lord is righteous. That's an incredible saying, you know. <laughs> when people say, you know what? God is right. You just, you know, I want to be on the side of that which is right. So they're actually saying, you know what? God is just in what he's doing. They're admitting to it. We're going to have to face Shishak because of us. That's a personal acknowledgement. You know what? God is righteous. If we understand that, it helps us understand ourselves a little bit more. We understand that we are sinners and he is righteous. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. You know, it's amazing if we were to all stand in the court of heaven, we would realize that every man is a sinner and nobody could open their mouth and say that they weren't because you know you are a sinner. Some people term it the original sin. Yeah, we originally were born in sin. And Jesus came to take care of the sin problem. These men acknowledged it. The Lord is righteous. But it goes further. I think it's important for us to read down to verse number 12. But let me read number 7. If you have your Bibles, look at it. It says, When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying that they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. And my wrath shall shall not be poured upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. You see, God is in complete control. If, if you're struggling with some issues this morning, take it to God. He is right. If he's convicted you, thank him for convicting you. And take that issue to the Lord. He will forgive you. He will convict you, but he'll also forgive you. And then he'll give you the peace afterwards. Sometimes God may correct you through accidents that happened. (laughs) You never know. You know, sometimes God corrects us through illnesses that come. Do you think he may be speaking to the world today by sending this difficult issue with all that's going on? God is dealing with the world. And you know, he's dealing with the world because he loves the world. He's saying, is there anyone out there that would say that I am righteous? Is there anyone would admit to me? Because if you do admit, I will heal you. I will forgive your sin. And I will heal your land. As he's talking here, it's interesting because in verse number eight, it says, nevertheless, they shall be his servants. And they may know my service and the service of the kingdom of the countries. And so, nevertheless... 
they're going to struggle. I'll, I'll keep them alive and I won't destroy them, but I'm going to make them servants. <laughs> and they shall know then my service of why I exist and why that they exist. And so Shishak, the king of Egypt, came against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house. He took all and carried away also the shields of gold which Solomon had made, instead of which King Rehoboam made shields of brass and committed them to the hands of the chief of the guard and kept the entrance of the king's house. And when the king entered into the house of the Lord, uh, the guard came and fetched them and brought them again into the guard chamber. It's interesting as we're thinking. Look at verse number 12. And when he'd humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him that he would not destroy him altogether. And also Judah, things went well. What a, what a picture of God's grace. When they're faced with a pretty difficult situation, king, of course, uh, of Egypt is gathering a group to come against them. But I want you to see something. And really, all of that, I said all of that to say this. That's what... That's what um, I would think it was 1972, Richard Nixon used to say. Let me say this about that, you know. So let me say this about all of about what I've said so far. Is that there is an issue with, with, with Rehoboam that we could actually look at and understand our, and our own selves understand that would help us to be walking with God, and that is to prepare our hearts. And that's what I'm asking you to think about this morning in this next point that I want to make. In verses 13 through 16, the concern is always the heart. If you've dealt with difficulties in your past, if you're dealing with difficulties now, it's always been about your heart. God wants you to deal with heart issues. In verses number 13 through 16, we can read those verses again, but I'm going to refrain. I just want to read to you verse number 13, part of it. And King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem, and then he reigned. But it says in verse 14, he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. So if we're looking at the heart traits, if you would, of Rehoboam, where he didn't prepare his heart, the first thing I would say that he had a problem with, um, first of all, is he forsook the counsel of the old men. That was his first problem. Let's look at chapter 10, if you would. Remember 10, 11, and 12 are dealing with Rehoboam. And I, I want to start in verse number 1 because I, I think that there's a lot here. Look at chapter 10, if you would. Let's learn a little bit more about Rehoboam and his problem and, and, and how he forsook the old men. It says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, Verse number one of chapter 10. And Shechem, where all Israel came to make, the, make, make him king. And it, it came to pass when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, uh, who was in Egypt, whether he had fled from the presence of Solomon the king, heard it. And Jeroboam returned to Egypt. They sent and called him. So Jeroboam and all of Israel came and spake to Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore ease thou somewhat the grievous servitude of thy father, and his heavy yoke that he put upon us, and we will serve thee. And then he said unto them, Come again unto me in three days. And the people departed. So give me three days to think about taking off the yoke from you. I mean, let me just think about whether or not I should ease it up a little bit for you. We'll look at verse number 6. And King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men that had stood before Solomon 
This is also in, is in the book of Kings. That had stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived, saying, What counsel give ye me to return answer to this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou be kind to this people, and please them, and speak good words to them, they will be thy servants forever. I think 1 Kings chapter 22, it says the same thing. But he forsook the counsel of the old men gave him, and took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him, that stood before him. You know, for some reason, it seems like there's a begging for us to to listen to the young men and not listen to the old men. For some reason. You know, there's a lot of gray hair in here today, you know, and I'm getting there. If I don't lose it all, I'll have some too someday. But let me tell you something. There is so much to learn. I'm looking forward to a week from Thursday night out there around the fire pit. Because you're going to listen to some men that have been through things and difficult things that we can learn from. But this young, arrogant king would not listen to the old men. But he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him and took counsel of the young men that were brought up with him and stood before him. And he said unto them, What advice give you that we return answer to this people, which we have spoken of me, saying, Ease somewhat of the yoke of thy father upon us. And the young men that were brought up with him, with Rehoboam, spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou answer the people. And spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made your yoke heavy, but make thou it somewhat lighter for us. Thus thou shalt answer unto them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. Basically saying, nope, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to even give, make it worse for you. Look at verse number 14. And he answered them after the advice of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add thereunto thee. My father chastised thee with whips, but I will chastise thee with scorpions. And so the king hearkened not unto the people for the cause uh, was of God, so God allowed that. God was involved with that even. So the Bible tells us, which he spake of the hand of Abijah the Shilite of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And so it's interesting when we think about, about Rehoboam because he forsook the council. He couldn't control his flesh. Um, so that was part of the king's problem. He was full of self-confidence. We saw that and how that he actually built himself up and made himself strong. We see all of that, so he forsook the counsel of the old men. So let me just give you uh, some symptoms if you've got heart issues, and then we'll be all done this morning. So you say, well, how do I know if I'm struggling with, with this disease of spiritual uh, heart disease, if I've got problems with my heart? Let me just be honest with you, okay, for a little bit more practical. When a person has spiritual heart disease, their worldly ways produce division instead of peace. When you walk into a room, do you feel tension or do you feel peace? I think it's important for us to know that the Lord desires us today more than ever to walk in the Spirit of God. And the very first fruit of the Spirit is love. And then there's joy. And then there's what? 
peace. I think it's important for us every time we want to make a difference to take the time of doing the spiritual discipline of just submitting your heart to God. When I walk into any situation, I'm saying, Lord, help me now to bring peace and not division. Help me to say the right things and do the right things. And you know, I found out as a pastor, sometimes it's best if I don't even come. If I just stay away at times. Because sometimes in my presence, and I know it's part of the, 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 it's part of the pastor thing, you know. Oh, here he comes again. He's the one that's going to talk about, you know, what I need to hear. Yeah, it might cause you to be a little bit agitated at times. I understand that. That's part of the scenery of being a pastor. It doesn't, it's not exempt if, you, if, you're, if I just resign or whatever. That doesn't, it doesn't go away. It's all part of what God has given me to do. But I always want to share with you that when you walk into a situation and you know you're dealing with some difficult things, just yield to God. Say, Lord, I submit to you right now completely. I yield to you. Allow your Holy Spirit to fill me. Forgive me. Help me not to be full of self and help me not be full of pride and arrogance. Help me to say the right thing, but help me to to do it in the right spirit that I would actually be humble before you and before them. Because a lot of times we say the right thing, but we say it kind of in a weird disposition. So I think that it's important for us to understand, first of all, symptoms of spiritual heart disease, your words and ways produce division instead of peace. Number two, you depend upon your own power rather than God's strength. Did you know that God gives you a strength in your weaknesses? It seems like you're stronger when you're not quite as sharp as you think you need to be. You know what I found out about God? Is when I, when I think, oh man, everything's a mess and it's just, oh, it's just not going right. Is when God does most of the most awesome things. Because yeah. he's God. And sometimes we think, well, I need to be there because I need to this. No, you don't. God's going to take care of things. He taught me less than Sunday night. I was watching you, you know, from the back of your head, you know. I got to be on Facebook Sunday. Can you believe that? Watching the church. And and Sunday night was just, it was incredible. Sunday morning was great too, but Sunday night I'm watching this and I'm thinking, I got to share this. And so um, technology is not my thing, so I had to kind of cut and paste and do it a different way. But I took, I took the, what was going on here. See, some of you say, well, pastor, all you got to do is click here and it happens. I know that, you know, you, you're skilled in it, but I'm not. So it took me a little longer. I'm kind of watching everything. And then I had to cut and paste and copy this link. And, and then I placed it on my Facebook. And then some mom saw it in Pennsylvania. And she's saying, there's my son playing the piano. And then she shared it. And did you know that we've almost had a thousand views on that? Just that Sunday night, from last Sunday night, where if I would have showed up, you'd probably have 80 views, maybe, at the most. I'm serious. You see, because God is God. He doesn't need you. You need him. And we need to be humble. Say, Lord, help me. If I can make a difference in someone's life, then give me the power to do so. But strengthen me, Lord. And if it makes me weak and, and you have to do that, then that's okay, Lord. Sometimes you think, well, what's happening to me? All these things, these difficulties have happened. You know, it's okay. God's in charge. 
And the weaker we become, the stronger he becomes. Yes. It's just the way it works. You think, oh, that's impossible. That's just the way God works. Yes. So I want to encourage you that if, if you think you might have spiritual heart disease, one of the indications is that you don't think anything can get done unless you're there. And you probably think that nobody else can do it like you can do it, and so you don't allow anybody to do it. You know what might happen to you? You might hurt people if you're not careful, and God may deal with you differently. But I think it's important you depend upon your own power rather than God's strength. And let me just say to you, Ephesians 6 is probably the best passage, 10 through 18, to read if you want God's strength. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Um, The verb tense. Finally, my brethren, be strengthened in the Lord. So if I desire to be strengthened, I must go to the Lord. And then I must put on his armor by his might, and he will strengthen you. Here's another one. Symptoms of spiritual heart disease like Rehoboam. Number three, you worship God only if it is convenient. America's turning there, my friend. I've got to wait till my blood pressure lowers a little bit here because this is a really important... Forgive me, Lord. But we have come to the place of convenience, dear friend. If it's convenient and if I feel good and if my slippers, if I can wear my slippers, I'll come. Do you ever go to the store and you see these guys wearing their pajamas? Yes. I mean, go back 100 years and look what they wore to the store. It looks like they were going to church, yeah, or a funeral. That's what they wore. Well, see, that's the way it was back then. You ever look at a baseball game from the 20s and 30s or whatever? It's like a big, huge stadium. It's like Billy Graham's going to speak or something. Things have really changed, haven't they? Just wear flip-flops and a pair of loose-fitting pajama bottoms. and How disrespectful. Pull your pants up, too. You ever see that? Yes. It's like, yes. you know. Well, I can't go on Wednesday nights. It's just inconvenient for me. Oh. So you only worship God when it's convenient. It gets kind of quiet in here, doesn't it? When I was sitting in the pew, I used to hate when the pastor got on these things. So I know how you feel. But I want to make you comfortable if you're agitated. And if you're comfortable, I want to make you agitated. It's just part of the process. Well, Sunday nights are okay, but... I just prefer Sunday morning without Sunday school, and that's about it. You know what? If you choose to do that, praise the Lord. But be careful. Don't just worship him because it's convenient for you. Worship him because you love him. Yes. Have a relationship that, that looks forward to giving him your prayers and your needs. you got a list of things like a grocery list, and you go to him. But maybe it's best if you would just read through one psalm before you give him your grocery list so he can speak to you because he wants to say something to you. You see, it's a relationship. It's not just a one-way thing. 
And so you worship God only if it is convenient. Number four. You confuse God's plan for the family. You confuse God's plan for the family. You see, God doesn't want us to go to, to, go to Disneyland every weekend. God wants us to raise our families to know who he is. Yeah. And, and, and as quick as we can, prepare them to fly with him. I think maybe 16, 17 years old. I, I think you're done spanking at around three or four, I think. And then to be able to get them to the place that they can adjust their, their checkbook and all that, 16, 17 or so, get them working early. I, I could do a whole sermon on that. But let me just share with you that sometimes we have a more concept of the family and God desires for us to prepare our children to be the salt and the light. I was praising the Lord over those guys that were singing the other last night. Praise God that they have a view of God the way they do. I better move on because time is short. You see, this is what happens when I miss the Sunday. You confuse God's plan for the family, number five or six or wherever we're at. You only turn to God when you feel helpless. And lastly, you'll end up self-serving. So the more a person takes heed of others to his heart, the more he or she will take his or her own heart to the Lord. I put down here, acknowledge, and again, is your heart fixed on the Lord or are you half-hearted? And when we're talking about Rehoboam here in verse number 14 of chapter 12, he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. And, and he, it talks about how he didn't seek the Lord. I look at the commentaries, and again, 41 years he took over, 58 he stepped out, 17 years he was in charge. But he didn't seek the Lord and prepare his heart and seek him continuously. So when we clear the channels of communication with the Lord, acknowledge that you are not where you should be spiritually. And that is so important to say, Lord, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, Lord. I understand that. And right now, by the way, if you're irritated at what I'm talking about, that's the spirit of God irritating you. Because if you were doing what God wanted you to do, you wouldn't be irritated. You'd be saying, praise the Lord for somebody who tells me the truth. I hope that when I'm old and gray, that I get underneath the man who will tell me the truth about how I need to respond. Acknowledge that you're not where you should be spiritually. Number two, admit that you are out of step with God. And then number three, agree that God is righteous and you are not. And then don't wait for Shishak to stare you in the face before you turn to him. My grandpa used to sing this song. I said something regarding not too long ago. But it was called, How About Your Heart? He used to sing it, How about your heart? Is it right with God? You've heard it before? How many have ever heard that song? Let me just read the words to you. How about your heart? Is it right with God? Would you ask Christ in today? Is it black with sin? Or is it pure within? 
Would you ask Christ in to stay? People often see you as you are outside. Jesus really knows you, for he looks inside. Is it right with God? The thing that counts today? Friend, how would you feel if your heart were made? With a a window on each side, so that all could see, not just outward charm, but detect the inward harm. People often see you are as you are on the outside. Jesus really knows you. He looks on the inside. So how about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. What a beautiful song. But maybe that's you today. You say, you know, I, I saw what happened to Rehoboam. But I don't want to be like that. I want to be a person that God can strengthen then you're going to have to prepare your heart. You know, sometimes we prepare for things like if you're in track, you have to run a little bit more than normal. If you're in football, spring training starts. Baseball, same thing, you train. And sometimes we train so hard physically, but do we ever think about preparing spiritually? My friend, we need to be grounded in spiritual disciplines today more than ever. Because otherwise the winds will cause us to be like a tumbleweed in the desert if we're not careful to be grounded and rooted in the word of God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning you heard a message that I had prepared two weeks ago that was supposed to be preached last Sunday. But perhaps you weren't here. Perhaps God wanted you to be more tender-hearted when I spoke the message. I don't know. Maybe he wanted me to be more prepared. But if it touched your heart today, then I would say step out and do something about it. You say, well, it was a little bit confrontational, Pastor. I know. I could have talked about the flowers I saw this morning, how beautiful they were how green the grass was and the beautiful fields and the farmers out. But I needed to talk to you about your heart. Give it to God. If you have not, first of all, asked him to come into your life and save you, then do that today. Four adults were saved this last week. What a blessing. God is still saving people. But maybe he is drawing you now. Or maybe you are saved, but you've been distant from him. Let him speak to your heart. Just say, yes, Lord, yes, have your will and have your way. If you need to come to an old-fashioned altar, it's going to be open for you if you want to come. Maybe it's for church membership or baptism. Then you come. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand where you are this morning? Let's have an invitation. If you need to come, you come. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide in the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.